If you have a Bible nearby, we're going we're to be in John chapter 1 for a few minutes together. In the next couple of weeks, uh, be kind of uh, some exciting things happening. Um, the, so we have Brag on Jesus night next week. Uh, two weeks after that, we're having, a, we're having a reunion for our 10th birthday. So we've sent out some emails. It's kind of been on Facebook and stuff. Um, the the idea is so all right so we turned ten years old in February, and um, but if you know anything about our history, we ten years ago we planted a church, but um, eight years before that we were a college ministry, and so we really go back to like 1998 as far as like people who've come through this thing that's called the Ring, and uh, covering. I, I don't really know how many, how many, what the numbers would be, but probably thousands of people at different points, if you count everyone, even the people that just came once. Uh, over the years, came to something uh, for out at Parkview. Uh, there was a college service. It started at 7.30 on Sunday nights, all the way out there. And at one point, there were over 400 college students coming there on Sunday nights. Um, and that's the right number. If you ask some people, they'll be like, yeah, there's like 1,000 people there every week. It wasn't 1,000 people ever. Um, but uh, there really were, like, there was a point where there were like upwards of 400 people that were coming, and um, there was a lot of stuff happening currently for that group, but there was always this forward idea that at some point this was going to morph into a church plant. And so there are hundreds and hundreds of people who were a part of the college ministry who knew about this church plant, and some of them like prayed toward that actually happening, but then they graduated and they moved to other places or they've done other things, and so they know that we exist. And they're tied to it, even though they were never a part of the actual church plant. And so we wanted to have what we're calling a reunion, like a family reunion type deal, where we try to get, try to just let everyone who's ever come through know that they are invited to come and be a part of this weekend. And so it's going to be at Parkview Baptist. It's going to be in the, in the old gym. Those of you who know what the old gym is. Um, even before there was a new gym, they still called it the old gym, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But it'll be in the old gym where we got our start. Um, and on Saturday will be like a lunch, like middle of the day, kind of a come and go thing with just food, no programming, nothing, just, just like a family reunion. We're trying to put the word out to everyone who wants to come and be a part of that. And uh, we're, we're setting up some things. We're working on like a timeline thing so you can kind of see uh, so that all you college students can joke about how you weren't even born when this particular thing happened. You know, that kind of stuff. Make us all feel real good about that stuff. And, uh, but it's really so you can see what everything that led up to the actual church starting and where things fit in. And to be able to invite those people back to be able to see, like to think of it in two, in two senses. There's people who who are involved now and, and people who were involved. We want those of you involved now to, to see what all the ones who came before you went through and all the events and all the things in the timeline that led to what you're a part of now. But we also want the people who were a part of it then to see what has come now. And so we're kind of a, a merging of those two worlds. Uh, so that Saturday we'll just be like hanging out and there's food and you know just getting to maybe meet some different people and kind of experience that. On Sunday... We will not meet here for church on that Sunday. We're going to meet over there at Parkview. We're going to meet in the sanctuary, um, which we really kind of split our time between the gym and the sanctuary over those years. 
We'll have a worship service a little bit earlier in the afternoon than we normally do. It'll be in the sanctuary over there. Uh, and again, inviting everyone to come and be a part of that. And there'll be childcare and everything. And then when that's over with, we'll go to the gym and have another meal opportunity over there. So we're kind of wanting to do something that's on two different days. It's Martin Luther King weekend, thinking that maybe that would help some people who would want to travel in for it and stuff like that. So uh, if you could help us by promoting that, by inviting, like maybe if you know some people who aren't as involved anymore, maybe reach out to them. And, uh, and people who were involved or somewhere else, reach out to them and say, hey, have you, have you gotten the word about this yet? You know, that kind of stuff. And we'll be kind of making a push about that. So that'll be happening in mid-January. And then in mid-February, we actually actually turn 10. Then we'll have our own like birthday thing. And somewhere in there, the name change will happen and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a busy couple of weeks. Um, and it's, it's been a busy couple of weeks already for us. Like a lot of you are probably impressed that you're even here, you know. You made it. You uh, you pushed through everything that's just crazy about Christmas and stuff like that. And so now here we are. As I said earlier, we've crossed from Advent into Christmas. We've gone from talking about how he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and now he's here. Um, and you know, I I, I meant to. Uh, so I have this. Uh, I have four um, nieces and nephews, right? Three nephews and a niece. And my niece has this little. She's 18 months old. She's awesome. She has this little nativity scene, and I meant to bring it with me to use. But you've all seen a nativity scene before, right? And uh, so you, you, know, you have your wise men, your shepherds, and Mary and Joseph. And then there's like this empty cradle, you know, until Christmas. And then you get to put the baby Jesus in there and everything is complete. And there's this, um, that kind of re- is like represents this great narrative, you know. All those people weren't all necessarily there at the same time. But the picture tells a story, and that's a lot of why it's on people's front lawns, and it's why it's on people's mantles, and it's why it's such a prominent thing, because you look at that and it tells the story um, that we're celebrating right now. You know, and there's, there's Santa Claus, and there's Elf on the Shelf, and there's all the Christmas songs, and there's all that kind of stuff, but that's really the, the thing for us. And once the baby is there, everything is complete. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, you have... You have Mary and you have Joseph, who were not there because, um, like, they weren't chosen necessarily because they were, like, flawless, you know. And, like, Mary is, you know, like, she's known, you know, in certain ways, you know. And so her purity, that's not why she got to be Jesus' mom in a sense of, like, this, like, this accomplishment. Like, that is a detail that fits into the, like, the... Uh, the theological part of the story, okay? But really, the whole point is that, like, for her to have this baby and for the Holy Spirit to be involved in the way that he was in creating that baby, it, it, it put Mary and Joseph in a kind of a weird position, you know? Because Mary, you know, she is visited by this angel. who's like, you're going to have this baby, and he's going to be the Messiah. And she's like, I think that's great. And then, you know, Joseph was like, wait, what? You know, and then he gets his own, you know, angel visit. And, and so rather, than, uh, rather than, than just running away from the, just the public weirdness of that situation, uh, they both believed that God had sent this, these messengers to talk to them and assure them and to tell them not to worry that God is in this. And so when they're in that nativity scene, they're there after some pretty agonizing moments, you know, 
probably some like uh, some people talking about him, some people asking some some questions, some people really really just being weird about it, and imagine them having to give an equally weird response, you know. But no, everything's cool. An angel came to me and talked to me. It was fine. Yeah, it's all good. And their friends are probably like, what? What? You know, like, how does that even make sense? And so well, by the time they get to, to the arrival point in that nativity scene, they had, they had been through it. They had been through it. Eight, nine, ten months of that kind of stuff. And so there they are. They've made this long journey on a donkey, apparently. And they get there, and they're exhausted, and they don't, they can't, there's nowhere for them to stay because everyone had to return to their hometown, and you know, there wasn't any room. And so they... The, the innkeeper let them stay in the, out in the barn. And so there they are in this barn. But they aren't there for any other reason other than God said, I want you to be the ones. I want you to be there on purpose. So there they are. And then you have your shepherds who were out. And they were like doing what shepherds do, which is watching after the flocks. And, uh, and then uh, like all this craziness happens. And the angels start singing. And... Um, they have you know, good news of great joy for all the people you know, in this day. He's born to you a Savior, Bethlehem, and, which is like where they were really. And so they, they go and they find Mary and Joseph and they're there. And the thing about these shepherds is uh, in Bethlehem, like what, what Bethlehem shepherds were known for was that that's where they would raise the lambs that were the most pure without blemish. Um, so when it came time to, to go and to pick out a lamb to take to the temple to be sacrificed, you went to Bethlehem because they had the best lambs. And so these shepherds, every single day of their lives, their job was to watch after and tend to sacrificial lambs. And the angels come and they say, hey, um, come see this. So they go, and when they get to that nativity scene moment, and they're looking at this baby, they're looking at the sacrificial lamb once and for all. So that's, that's a pretty cool story, how they got there, right? Then you have the wise men, who were actually there like maybe two years later. But we don't tell people that, you know, it messes up the nativity scene if you don't have the three wise men. And we don't even know if there were three of them, but there were three gifts, and so, you know, it works out, right? So these guys, these were magi. They were, um, they were po- like political, like make it happen kind of guys in, in Babylon. And you may remember when we were talking about Haggai uh, at the beginning of, of Advent, um, Babylonians came in and uh, they completely destroyed Jerusalem and they marched all these exiles up to Babylon for like 80 years. And so maybe over the course of those 80 years, the Babylonians started picking up on some of the beliefs of these Jews who were there and some of the things that they were talking about in this Messiah and all these prophecies. And so these magi, like these were educated people. They were, um, they were I heard them described one time as like these were the, that these were the kingmakers. These were your behind the scenes guys who were putting the right people into power in Babylon. And so... Those dudes show up in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, we're from, we're from Babylon. We're, um, this is who we are. We brought these gifts because we, we know the prophecies. We saw the star even where we were, and, so, and we knew that, that oh, yeah, this is, this is supposed to happen. The king of the Jews has been born. They show up in Jerusalem. They're like, we want to find him because we are coming to bring gifts. Herod, who is the king at the time over that region, he got a little nervous. So he's like, yeah, yeah, when you find him, tell me where he is, because I want to worship him too. And they're like, okay. And no, he didn't want to worship him, by the way. 
So he sends them and they go and they find him. And so by the time they get to this nativity scene, you have these highly educated, very powerful people who are not Jewish, which means that they were Gentiles, who at one point were, were like the oppressors of, of the children of Israel. And now they had shown up to bring gifts to acknowledge and to worship the king of the Israelites. So you have this picture of the nations, remember, because Jesus came for the nations. And so you have these Jewish shepherds and this Jewish Mary and Joseph and then these Persian uh, like um, Gentiles. I was like, not Jews, but that's what we call them, Gentiles. And so you have this representation that Jesus came for everyone and they come and they're there and we're like, oh, here. And then they follow the star right to him. And so you have this whole complete picture and then a couple animals sprinkled in there and there's this moment when there's Jesus and there they all are and everything is awesome. And in John chapter 1, let me just read the first couple of verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When it says Word, and it has a capital W, it's, it's talking about Jesus. It's saying that Jesus has always existed um, this wasn't the point of origin for him, and ten months before this wasn't the point of origin either. He's always existed, uh, and he, that he is God. Verse 2, he was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. That he is the creator of all these things. His creative powers led to the existence of all those people that were there at this nativity scene. His creative powers led to the, the construction of the barn. Um, the very manger that he was in, he made that. He spoke those things into existence. The animals that were there, it's part of his creation. The star above, all of it is all his. And so this is a huge moment. And then there are these two verses that I really just want to center on just for a few minutes. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light of the world had come into the world and lit up the darkness. Isaiah 9 says the people walking in darkness had seen this great light. And so a nativity scene kind of tells this story of this, the coming together of these people who were not there for their own merit. They hadn't like, worked really hard and attained all this great holiness, and so they got to be there. They were just there because God strategically brought them there to tell us this story. And it's this really great moment. And the light of the world had come into the world, and the light was the life of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it's this great apex to the story, you know. And you know, like, like a really good... Um, Really good movie. Like, take, like, the end of Rocky, you know? It's like, they're all fighting and stuff, and he's all yelling and everything. And, like, the soundtrack builds and builds and builds. There's this great, like, moment, and that's, like, it, you know? I think that that's, like, the nativity scene moment. We're like, there it is. Everything's together. You know, it's all perfect. But then that moment had to end, especially since these moments weren't even together, you know? At some point, the shepherds were like, okay, we, we got to go. We got to go back to the fields, you know? We're going to go back, and we're pumped to go back. We gotta go. We gotta go back. And the wise men had to return, and Mary and Joseph had to keep going. Like that nativity scene is it represents something, but it's just a their points in a story, and the story that keeps going. And say so I say all that to say, okay, what what now? You know, what do you do that now we've hit this moment? The light has come into the world, and the darkness will not overcome it. And you're like, yeah, that's really awesome. 
So now what? Because life continues on, and you know what? Life can get kind of dark. If the light of the world has come into the world, and the darkness cannot overcome his light, what happens when that nativity scene, everybody goes on with their lives, and you and I go on with our lives, what happens when it gets dark again? Because I think we all experience that. I mean, Trey got up here a few minutes ago and talked about some, some dark times. In this room, it represented all kinds of dark times. I mean, Jesus, like, he illuminates our souls. And, and for, for those of you in this room who are Christians, and I hope that you are, and if you are not, I would love to talk to you about that afterwards. There's this moment when that light of the world, it, it illuminates your soul. For all of us who are Christians, there came this point where it really is like your soul, like a light got flipped on and you saw how dark it was. You saw yourself as a sinner, as someone who has rebelled against God, who's told God, I know better than you. I want to be the God of my own universe. And no matter how hard you tried, you, you, know, you couldn't change that. That light flipped on and you saw it and you realized that you need someone to step in and help you. And you recognize that Jesus is that one who has come from heaven to the earth and was born and that lights everything up. He's the one that flipped the switch on. And he's the light bulb itself. He's the rescuer. And he's the one to point out the fact that you need rescue. He's all these things in one. And so that happens and that's, a, that's a, an, an amazing moment when you realize that and you trust him and you say, yes, yes. And then you keep living your life, though, right? He not only lights up the darkness in our souls when we're saved, but then you're going forward, and, and we call that you know, like this, this, like our sanctification, our, our growth in our relationship with the Lord and our holiness, and it, it progresses. But much like that nativity scene, at some point everybody had to go back their separate ways. We keep going. Your salvation is not the end of Rocky where it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like the next part when him and Apollo are in the ring, like just sparring around. You know, making jokes about how old they are and stuff like that. You know, that's that's the thing. And that's what I wonder about you know, Advent. We're like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And he's like, he's here. And like, OK, now what? Do we just go back to the grind again? You know, does that make a difference in anything? Thing is, if the light has come into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, then what we celebrate makes a difference in every single day of our lives. In every moment of our lives. That nativity scene, you think about it, the, the shepherds, they had to go back to keep tending sheep, which had to be kind of a letdown at that point, you know. They also were going and they were telling people, and they were like, yeah, this, you know, these angels were there and they were singing, and we went and we found this baby, and he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. And I'm sure that they were met with, a, with really, you know, they probably had a lot of sarcastic friends, if I had to guess. You're like, oh yeah, the king, our king was born in a barn? Yeah, yeah. And they could probably have a really good answer and say, no, he, he wasn't born like any other king because he's not like any other king. And they'd be like, whatever, man. Our king's going to be born in some barn. How is a kid born in a barn going to save us and return Israel to like, its like, glory? How, how is that military like, leader going to emerge from that kind of stuff? What are, you know, you're crazy. The shepherds had this amazing experience that they had to go back and probably deal with a varying degree of receptivity, right? 
And maybe as time went on, maybe they began to question it. Maybe they're like, well, did we, were we just really tired? You know, do we really see all that stuff? Was that real? Did, what happened? And especially considering that Jesus didn't start his public ministry for like 30 more years. So maybe, maybe you know, in year 18, they got a little bit discouraged. Like, I don't really know if that was for real or not. Maybe we were just emo- emotional. You know, you know how shepherds are. They probably had some darkness, right? The, the, the Magi, uh, the, the Bible tells us that, that they got, um, in, in a dream, word came to them to not go back to, and tell Herod where the baby was. So they went back a different way. So they had to go back, and one, kind of fearing for their lives, but two, they had to go back into Babylon and talk about what they had seen and experienced. In a place that probably was not very receptive there either. Mary and Joseph, they had to, um, like, um, the narrative goes on to say that in a dream, Joseph was warned about Herod. And so they actually packed up and snuck out and spent time in Egypt. They, they lived in Egypt until Herod died. And so they get over to Egypt. Herod freaks out because the, the Magi never come, come back. And so he's like, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just kill every baby boy that's been born in the, within a certain window of time. And so he kills all the, all the boys that were born um, in there. You know? So Mary and Joseph uh, are in Egypt waiting until Herod dies. Herod dies. They get word of that. They get back, back in there. And they're like, well, yeah, but now his son's in charge. And so they go back and they kind of sneak over and they settle into Nazareth. Where, uh, where they're from. And so maybe a part of them that was living worried that, that people were going to find out who Jesus was, that kind of stuff. But also, this has been years later, so they maybe left, left in a little bit of uh, controversy and they return and now here's this boy and they're like, oh, yeah, there he is. There's, that's God's boy. <laughs> that's God's boy right there. Don't mess with him. <laughs> He's God's. It's not Joseph's. It's God's, you know. They had to raise a kid in some questionable circumstances. All you parents, you ever deal with it, you know, when like your kid thinks that they know better than you? Their kid actually, he actually knew better than them. Like all the time. And they knew it. And he knew it. So you have to grow up raising God, teaching Jesus how to write and read and um, training him in the family business and that kind of stuff. To watch him grow up, knowing, knowing what he's going to do and knowing who he is. Probably answering a lot of questions. We know in the crucifixion account when Jesus is there and he wants to make sure his mom is taken care of, that at some point his father had passed away. And so Jesus had to grow up. He had to, he had to learn things. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected by men. He's experienced all these things. So the shepherds and the, and the magi and Mary and Joseph, as they go their own way, they're walking into like, the darkness that circumstances bring to us. And so although the light had come into the world, and that the darkness would not overcome it, they still had to walk through some times that seemed pretty dark. And you and I are in the same boat. We all face challenges. We all face this stuff. But if he lit up my soul and the darkness cannot overcome, then we as Christians are the ones who walk through dark times. But we walk differently than people who, who have no light. 
you know. There should be something different about the darkness that we encounter. Because no, none of us, none of us are exempt from the suffering and the darkness that the world brings to us. If you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, there's, there's no exemption there. So both he lights up our souls, but he also lights up our lives. And as we disperse and as we walk through the different like difficult things, that baby who came into the world makes a difference. That God coming to us and being present with us makes a difference. Um, this last year uh, for for me personally has been has been really difficult, and not even in a way that I was aware of all the time. But you know this kind of, this time of year, I guess like you get. You, you get a little bit, um, I don't know, retrospect just becomes a thing, you know, and you're kind of looking back and you're looking forward and you're kind of realizing some things. And uh, the last probably week or week and a half, I've just been thinking about 2015 and how much I have hated it. <laughs> and, and, and I don't want, this is just, let me just be, let me just be um, honest, you know, oh, I'm on, always honest with you. Maybe, I don't know, something. Tell me the word I'm looking for later on. I'll be that with you. Um, so you go back to 2014, right there at the end. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a Saturday where um, my day went like this, and I referenced this. So I get an early morning phone call about some friends who had been killed in a car accident. I go to deliver that bad news. Um, so I'm there with, in the, in like the initial like horrible grieving moments, then I go to a Christmas party at Maison Demi with some of our friends, which is an amazing place to be, and it brings with it its own stuff, you know, and so I'm there. And then I go meet a group of college students um, who are about to go on a, on a mission trip, and they're kind of in shock dealing with the, the, the accident from that morning and that kind of stuff. Then we all get on a plane and we go to the Bowery Mission and we walk through a room that is full and stick to another room that's full of homeless men and women who are sleeping um, because it was too cold outside and they just let them come in on like super cold nights. And so uh, by the time I got to the bed that night, I was like, okay, in the last you know, 18 hours, I've experienced... Uh, like shock and grief and tragedy, and then having that conversation with multiple people throughout a day. Um, I was in a really difficult environment where you see the brokenness of the world. Uh, you just come face-to-face with it, and then you're walking with other people trying to help, help that make sense. And then I walked in, like, around and was going to be for the next week in just the midst of this homeless shelter, which is doing amazing things, but it also brings with it a certain amount of heaviness. And I was laying there in the bed, and I was just crying, and I was, I was like, I don't, know, I don't know that I want to do this anymore, you know? Not, like, not ministry, just like, you know, the, this world that we're in, you know? It was just too much, too much bad stuff in one day, you know? And, um, and so I was, like, praying and crying and, like, being like, but i got to go to sleep because i got to do this tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I think that that was the beginning point all the way up until this moment, of a really sad year. I would not say that I have been depressed in the sense of, like, uh, I've been battling depression, you know, like not like that. Um, I just think I've been really sad because it has been a year filled with, uh, for me, just being involved in situations with people where there's suffering and there's death and there's grief and there's all this difficulty that's there. 
been peppered throughout this last year, and I wouldn't trade a second of it with the people involved, okay? When you connect it all together, I'm just like, man, I'm just sad all the time, you know? Um, and so please know that I'm not saying, like, I don't like my job. I love what I get to do. I, just, I hate that I have to do it. Does that make sense? You know, it's like the Bowery Mission. I love that what the mission is doing. I hate that, that we need a homeless mission. You know, I wish that we didn't, and one day we won't, and it'll be awesome. Um, a whole year of that. Then, 30 days of prayer last year, you know, we, we prayed and asked God to give us a permanent place to meet. And I was convinced of, of two things. One, one that, that we were going to get something out of that month. That God was going to put us somewhere. And I thought I knew exactly where it was going to be. Um, and over the course of that month, God said no to both of those. You know? And I think even until now, in stages, I've just been really sad about that. You know, that I've, I've had to grieve that. And I've shared that before and talked with different people about that. And um, just when I kind of think I'm past it, I realize that I'm kind of not. You know? And so it, there's been, from a ministry sense, you're just like in, in the trenches of, with people hurting a lot. And that's been like prolonged, you know, and then there's like, there's that stuff with the 30 days of prayer, you know, and there's lots of just individual things and there's personal things. And so I know over Advent, we talk a lot about the world being broken and the, all the brokenness around us and, and the need for Jesus to show up and show up and show up. But let's push all that world stuff to the side. Let's just, for a second, let's just think about you, like you and Jesus, because that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about me and Jesus, that I have been just kind of sad Toward, like, toward him. I don't know if that makes any sense. You know, I'm just like, come on, man. You know? That's like my prayer all the time. Come on, man. And I don't think he's looking back at me and be like, no, come on, man. Back to me, I think he's like, yeah, I know. I don't think he's frustrated by that, but it's just been a long year, and I'm just, I'm really tired of it. And, uh, and I'm just kind of starting to come to terms where I can articulate some of those kind of things, and and so I kept coming back to this, like the darkness has not overcome it. That the light of the world had come into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. That in the darkest of those moments, the darkness is never, it's never really dark. You know, it's not completely dark. Then in all those things that I just mentioned, and that's just a drop in the bucket in a lot of ways, and please don't feel bad for me, but I, I'm not, I know I'm not by myself. I know that some of you are like, yeah, I'm just kind of bummed a lot. But the thing is, as dark as those times are, they're not completely dark anymore. Because the light had come into the world, and the darkness has not overcome that light. And even there, in times when it seems that way, that's not what is real and what's true. And that's, the, that's my landing point, is that there's a difference between how things seem to be or how they feel in the moment, a difference between that and then what is true. The truth is in, is in this verse. That's what's true. But sometimes the darkness is so overwhelming to us in those painful times that that starts to sound true, and starts to feel true, and it starts to resonate in this really weird way that we end up embracing it if we're not careful. But He has come into our lives, and He has lit up our souls, and He's He lights up our lives, and so even the darkest is not really dark. I've told this story before, um, I think, um, 
I was in Israel several, several years ago, and um, you guys sent me on this trip, and it was amazing. And we were in this, uh, we went to this place called Hezekiah's Tunnel, and there's this story in the Old Testament where, in preparing for war, uh, rather, than, rather than have the enemy cut off their water source, they dug this tunnel and uh, kind of read, like, configured things so that they would have water coming into the city uh, no matter what the enemy did. And so there's this tunnel. And you can walk through it. And so they're like, hey, we're going to go walk through this tunnel and stuff like that. You're like, okay, cool. But it's not just like a tunnel. It's like a tunnel with water in it. And so we're walking into this tunnel, and you're kind of walking. And at first you're thinking like a tunnel. And then like it starts to get like smaller and smaller and smaller because this is not a natural tunnel. This is dug by people. And eventually, I guess they were smaller back then, and I guess they just got tired. And so uh, the farther it got into it, and apparently they started on two different ends and somehow like met up or something. It's some sort of engineering marvel. And uh, the deeper you get into it, though, it gets shorter and it gets, I don't know. And so, so we're going along and we get into it and you get in pretty far and you're in the middle of the earth. And you know what doesn't exist in the middle of the earth? Light. And so some of you, if you're claustrophobic, you, you may freak out and just me telling you this. I'm a little bit claustrophobic until this happened and then I'm like off the charts. And so you're coming along and you get into it and it's just to the point where there's literally, there's just no light at all. The guy at the front of the line, he had a flashlight, but he's like, there's like 30 people between us, and he's way down there, and the tunnel kind of, you know, does like tunnels, and uh, so he's, so you have no light, and it gets to a point where, like, I'm, I'm like hunched down like this, I'm in water up to my knees, and I'm like, the, I'm surrounded, and you can't see who's in front of you or who's behind you, so we're just bumping into each other, and so you're, you're kind of like, you're holding the person's backpack in front of you, and you're just kind of like coming along, you know, and you're just like, this might be it for me. Like, this might be, this might be how I go. And like, I just kind of started, I had this moment of just like complete panic, because I've never really been in that kind of darkness before. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how fast we were going. I didn't know who was in front of me or behind me. I didn't know how much farther we had to go. I didn't know, I just didn't know anything. And I was like, the earth could collapse. Like, all, everything just kind of went crazy, you know. And I had like, maybe like 20 or 30 seconds of like internal freaking out. But I knew better than to say anything because that's bad times. <laughs> and I was just bugging. And then we, everybody at first was kind of talking, talking, talking. And then it just got to where all you heard was like the sloshing around of like no one was talking. And I was like, everybody here is terrified. Because it's so incredibly dark. And then uh, uh, someone started to sing. And they began to sing the song Sanctuary, which I, my first thought was like, this is a random choice. Of all the songs you could sing, someone back behind me started singing it. And then everyone starts singing it. And something shifted inside of me. And it wasn't because of the song, and it wasn't because of whatever. In that moment, I realized something very, very important, or a couple of very important things. One, I had forgotten that there were other people in the tunnel with me. Like, I was so immersed in my own darkness, my own terror, my own whatever, that I kind of forgot, we're all in this boat, you know? And when people started singing, I was like, oh, other people. Beautiful. And I'm not saying that everything was automatically okay, but things got significantly better for me in an instant. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not alone. And we're all like moving forward. Like there's got to be an end to this somewhere. And there's a guy at the front with a light 
And he does like six of these tours a year. And so he knows where he's going. He's led us all over Israel. Why wouldn't he lead us faithfully to the end of this tunnel, you know? And so I just kept going. And then a few minutes later, someone's like, oh, i got a flashlight in my backpack. And he like lights it up. We're like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. And then it was just a joy from then on. But, you know, I kind of feel like over the course of this last year for me, and, and I think, and I'm not trying to make this all about me because I, I know I'm not alone, and I want to just kind of create some solidarity among us, that there are things that you go through and you kind of feel like I did in that tunnel where you're like, this is as dark as it gets, and I am miserable and terrified, and I, just, I don't know what to do, and this is, everything here is bad. But the thing is, like when, when that person back behind me started singing, they didn't flip a light on, but it was like something was lit up inside of me when I realized I wasn't by myself. That God with us is with us, you know? Like, he's with you. That in the dark things that you face, in the sadness that can be life sometimes, especially in the times when you're like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just really, I'm just not happy about anything right now. That Jesus is with you, you know. Because he has lit up your soul and he lights up your life and the darkness will not overcome it. And even if you think the darkness is being overcome, it's never happened. Not once. For darkness to overcome light, the light has to be extinguished. And guess who's not been extinguished? Jesus. He hasn't. That's why our name is going to be Living Hope Fellowship, because our hope is alive, because He is alive. And I don't know what you're wrapping up with 2015 or what 2016 holds, but you know what? Very rarely is that moment at midnight a complete like switch over from whatever you're dealing with right now. You'll probably continue to deal with it. You're not dealing with it by yourself. That the light of the world has come into the world to light up your soul and to light up your life. That you're not fumbling around in the darkness. That Jesus is leading you through whatever it is. He's the guy at the front of the line in the tunnel, you know. He knows where he's going and he will be faithful to us. I'm not trying to be cheesy. I'm trying to, like, do, you, do we understand? And he's put us together in the midst of it. That you're just not by yourself. And sometimes you need a reminder of that. So maybe Sundays are a reminder of that. Maybe community group is a reminder of that. Maybe email threads or maybe text messages, things or whatever, are a reminder that you're not by yourself in it. But greater than us being in it together, like as a group with one another, is this sense that Jesus is in it with you personally. And so whatever you have been going through or are going through or are going to go through, at no point is the darkness really going to overcome the light. It may feel that way, but that is not reality. And so as we worship and as we celebrate and as we as Christians walk through the darkness that everybody on the planet gets to walk through, we walk through differently. We grieve not as those who don't have hope, but those who do have hope. We walk through darkness as those who have a light with them. And so however this meets you, I don't really know, but he's with you. He's your advocate. He's right now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and as you pray, he's sitting there being like, yeah, this, it really is, it's a bear. You realize that God the Father doesn't, he doesn't understand experientially the things that you and I go through. The Hebrews 4 says that Jesus has experienced everything that we have. He's been tempted in every way. 
So if you're praying to the Father and you're like, you're like, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. You realize that God, the Father, has never been confused? He's never not known what to do. And there's Jesus at the right hand being like, no, for real. There are times when it's crazy. You just don't, you aren't sure. That's why I had to keep asking you. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He understands, he's experienced it, and he's there as your advocate and as your light and to guide you forward, and you're just not by yourself. He is with you, and we are with you. And so that little nativity scene, as everyone went their separate way, they all walk through darkness, we all walk through darkness, but it's not dark anymore. It's not dark like it was. It'll never be dark again like it was. So next week we'll celebrate by sharing stories of his faithfulness. Tonight we're just going to sing a song or two. I talked a lot longer than I intended to, and I'm not really sorry for that, but I just want to acknowledge it. Um, But, uh, yeah, Christmas is a very, very hopeful time as we see God be faithful. Uh, Let's stand together. We'll sing a little bit, and we'll go. Lord, um, certainly in a room like this, there's just a lot of a lot of different things experienced. I'm sure that there are people who are just on the top of the world, um, who are doing so well, and can just sense your nearness and see you at work, and um, are not in times of doubt or fear or anything. And I'm so grateful that there are people like that around us. Um, People that can be there to be encouragements and supportive and people that can have faith for us when some of us just kind of don't. And Lord, there are probably people on the other end of the spectrum who are just ready to give up. Um, maybe just maybe in their own lives or maybe because of some of the lives that the people they're closest to. You know, you've been walking with somebody through something and you just don't. And you just don't know how it's going to get any better, and you just don't see any um, any light in there at all. And there's just all across that spectrum, God, probably in this room and and beyond. Lord, just help us to take great comfort, no matter where we are in that spectrum, and knowing that you are with us, that you have come and you have brought. Your life to us and your light is the life of man and the, the darkness cannot be overcome by the light that you bring. Help us to separate what's true from what we're feeling or sensing or what we've convinced ourselves of. And just remind us in the very deep ways that you are with us and that we are with you. And you've given us one another. And there's nothing at all that will ever overcome. Never again. You've come to bring us comfort and to bring us rest. And so help us, even just through these last two songs, maybe some things will settle in. Help us to sing or maybe just to listen or to pray. Just to respond to you.